Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is Naomi Ekperigan, a very, very, very funny and talented actress, comedian, and writer. We'll be talking about her time writing for the show's Great News and Broad City. We'll be talking about how she cut her teeth as a stand-up comedian, and you'll get to hear the inside scoop on her purse. That's today on Hijinks, so hunker down, buckle up, and sink your teeth into some new Hijinks. Forever. Dog. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by comedian, actress, and writer Naomi Ekperigan. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Jinx. How are you doing today? You know, I, you know what, lately I just say I'm doing my best. I think that is how I am. It's just kind of a general um, blase melancholia that I think we all are just trudging through. (laughs) I think, you know, after the holidays, we all get postpartum, you know, like, and we had to deal with that army, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? That new COVID remix. And so I think it's like post-holiday COVID remix, you're like, I don't know, I'm just here, I guess. January is always my rough month every year because I, you know, like I have like my holiday gigs. Typically I have a New Year's gig and it feels like everything's all lined up and then the year starts over again and it's like, what am I going to do now? So (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's like, wait, I have to do it all over again? You need me to start new things? When you're a freelance performer, you just kind of start every year like, well, let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to say that I just, in preparation for this interview, um, I just re-upped and um, watched your episode of The Stand-Ups on Netflix once more. Oh, um, thank you. And I keep getting Instagram showing me little clips of your <laughs> your episode. <laughs> it's so, so good. So funny. Thanks. And I left it feeling like, I think Naomi and I might be the same person from alternate <laughs> timelines within the the multiverse because so much of what you said I was like that's that's just me that's just already me um so <laughs> let's start there we're the same person yes. okay from perfect, different timelines in the multiverse I don't know if you watch the Marvel movies but it's all about, oh, the, I multiverse know about the multiverse now. okay not only am I watching Marvel I'm watching DC shows on CW <laughs> how many letters are that is that you know and I'm watching them all I just binged Loki, and now my mind is all screwed up. I can't remember what's real. (laughs) Um, But uh, I absolutely loved your episode of the stand-ups. I love your comedy. And you have written for a couple of 
um, my favorite shows, um, including Great News and oh. Broad City. So yeah. let's go ahead and start there. Okay, um, okay. I, I think um, Great News, uh, I, I believe it's on Netflix. Yes, and it is, the two seasons. It's a lesser known show, but it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. full of amazing performances, amazing um, amazing actors, amazing writing. Um, what was it like working on Great News? And tell me what Nicole Richie is like in person. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked on season two of Great News, and it mm-hmm. was the job that moved me to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I had first interviewed for it. I came into town. I was visiting. I had the interview. But it's such a weird process. What I learned is like, so, you know, shows, they don't know yet if they're getting picked up. But in mm-hmm. case they are, they want to start having people. So you yeah. have, it's like an interview, but you there may not even be a job to win or lose, you know? <laughs> so, like, I went in there very, like, hey, girl, hey. Like, I didn't, <laughs> like real relaxed because I just wasn't uh-huh. even sure what I was supposed to be doing. And so when I got it, I was like, oh. Um, and... You know, it was, I felt like it was interesting because it felt to me, so the creator of that show, Tracy Wigfield, she pretty much worked under Tina Fey. She did 30 Mm -hmm. Rock, so she comes from that world. And I remember just feeling like, I'm in league with, I'm like, I'm with the real deal now. Like, these are the people who know what's up. And I was so nervous all the time. (laughs) Um, And it ended up being like a really nice, fun room of people. But it was also like, we worked really late hours. And I feel like Mm -hmm. when I look at old episodes, I can look and be like, that was a 1 a.m. joke. That was a joke we <laughs> thought was hysterical when we were loopy and then made it all the way in somehow. But how? Yeah, how, it was. Oh, go, no, go ahead. Well, no, I want to tell about Nicole. I want to tell about Nicole. <laughs> okay, yes, please tell me. So nice and chill and low key. Mm-hmm. And not like she, you know, isn't like a, she isn't a jokester. She doesn't come off um, ditzy, but she's just like a, she only kind of say what she need to say. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's not like a, we're going to chat, chat, chat and get into it. But she was like really nice. And I was very surprised for someone who grew up, who did the simple life. Uh, yeah, the simple life. I mean, that's that's why I asked the question yep. is because she has this wonderful career now that doesn't look anything like the simple life. Um, yep. She seems to be loving her life, having a great time. And when I watched The Simple Life, I mean, I got that they were kind of playing parodies of themselves. Mm-hmm. But there are things that you watch on The Simple Life and you're like, what, what? How are they not arrested? How did they not get arrested? Maybe they did. Well, she ended up arrested <laughs> later for a far different reason. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, okay, well, we see what happened here. But yeah, it was like, she's like a chill mom now, you know? I think yeah. she has two kids and she's just like, I'm just working and momming. She, it felt yeah. like, and it was probably a little different for her. You know what's funny though? I auditioned mm-hmm. for her part. Oh yeah. Show before, <laughs> of course, I was writing for it. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was, it was just so funny. And then like I saw her and I was like, yes, that is right. That makes sense. This is true <laughs> and good. <laughs> she, she's great in the role. And I also have to say that one of my favorite people in existence um, was on that show, and that's Andrea Martin. And Andrea Martin, to me, she's just one of my all-time favorite people. Um, I I met her once and shared a dressing room with her once, and she was so kind. I lent her a string of pearls to wear for her show that night because she was like... (laughs) 
Uh, I have these rhinestones, but they don't feel right. What should I wear? <laughs> I need pearls. I need pearls. And I uh, I lent her some pearls and a shawl to wear for one of her numbers. I love that you had that just a backup. Just a backup pearl uh, you know, a backup dra- shawl. Drag queens, we, we travel with everything. I, I especially, as a Virgo, as a highly anxious person, <laughs> I'm like, I'm the kind of, I'm a kitchen sink traveler because okay. I never know what, what moods are going to change. I never know, like, Maybe today I'm going to just all of a sudden decide I hate all my clothes and I'm going to need to completely revamp <laughs> the wardrobe. Um, oh, no, that's too much, Jinx. <laughs> that's too much. Now, are you? how's your back? Because I feel like when you're a kitchen sink person, yeah. you got a way too big bag. Well, I mean. You call a purse and it's really a suitcase. I've got the good suitcases that roll around. You know, I, I always travel with one other person because I can't be trusted alone. But um, <laughs> my backpack these days, I've got the switch. I've got my witch books. I've got my laptop. I've got, <laughs> sometimes I've got my podcast mic, you know. Um, my chiropractor's not happy with me. Um, exactly. Started with getting hit by that car, and now I just keep exacerbating it with my Where'd backpack. Where'd you get hit by a car? <laughs> Jinx, you can't just be casually like, it started with getting hit by a car. I love casually dropping that. Um, it was Amsterdam. <laughs> Who hasn't been in Amsterdam after a particularly raucous night walking home? You just get hit by the one car in Amsterdam. It happens. Exactly. Um, exactly. Oh, my God. That that is wild. Now, Broad City is one of my all-time favorite shows because, um, well, there's there's a lot of reasons. The writing's impeccable. The um, the stars, Abby Jacob, uh, Abby Jacobson, and Alana mm-hmm. Glazer, are absolutely amazing performers, and it really feels. Like what it is, a show mm-hmm. that was created by two people and celebrates their friendship and their work as as actors and comedians. And I, I by the end, they were like directing everything like it was yeah. just them doing like everything. Um, what was it like being a writer on that show and writing a show that reads and feels very personal to the stars of the show? Um, how do you infuse your voice in a show that's so specifically written for two other people? Yeah, I totally understand that. So it was interesting. So I started out, season one, I was a writer's assistant. Mm-hmm. So I was taking the notes, getting uh, office supplies, doing all that kind of admin stuff. And so and also, so I wasn't like weighing in, right? So I was there and the room is very small um, and everyone's all friends with each other. Mm-hmm. And so... Then when I came, season two, I was brought in as a staff writer. So that was like, that was my first writing credit. And that's why Broad City was its own thing for the very reason that you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, the leads are also the creators who are also running the room. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting when you have to like kind of pitch on something to the actors. Because like, Abby or Alana will say like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Not like it's like a bad idea, but like, I don't want to do that. No. Yeah. And so it's like, well, all right, new pitch. Um, <laughs> but I think what helps, because it's true, is like, I feel like I am aligned more with Alana. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I are, like, I know her a little mm-hmm. better and just like her personality and the way she talks and stuff. So I always, so in terms of weigh in, it was, it was like, okay, what would, what would, <laughs> what's like, what's the Alana-ism for this situation? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it would come out conversationally. And I think what also helped is that that room being pretty small, we were all in New York. Mm-hmm. We had all, I'm from New York originally, 
but all, everybody else had like lived in New York a long time. So even though it was in very unique to their relationship, we all had a lot of the same touchstones so that it didn't feel, you know what I mean? So what didn't feel like yeah, you were yeah. totally just making stuff up for them. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was a very, it was a fun one, but it was, it was so different. Like when I walked into a room, like the way we would pitch mm -hmm. on Broad City, a lot of stuff would come out of real experiences, right? So mm -hmm. we'd be talking and be like, okay, so this one time I was out at this club and then this guy, blah, blah, blah. And that's like almost how you would pitch stuff. And then when I went into the great newsroom and I kind of started to do that, I was like, oh, we don't tell personal <laughs> stories here. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'm now overly vulnerable. Okay. I didn't know. I just assumed you got into the backstory, you know? <laughs> so that I, I can definitely relate to that because I, I, I mean, all of my work for myself comes out of personal experiences and I haven't ever... I haven't often written anything that wasn't just like for me to perform, but right. I will share a personal story at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Like someone will say, um, oh, I, I cut out dairy. And then the next thing I know, I'm telling them a story about, you know, like a hookup I had where <laughs> something went wrong because someone ate too much dairy. I don't know. But you know, <laughs> that's not necessarily real, but that's an example of how I I'm, I'm a very open book. Yeah. And for the most part, people like that about me. But you, every once in a while, you find yourself in a situation where you tell a story that you think is hilarious. And and, it's, <laughs> and, and you're met with, like, just shocked and appalled faces. Right. They're like, I'm worried for you, Jinx. Are you okay? <laughs> you're like, I'm fine. Listen, if I'm still alive, I'm doing something right. Okay? So... <laughs> um, now, for Broad City, and I loathe to say this because <laughs> I know that this is such a cliche thing to say, I think because of Sex in the City, but New York <laughs> is a character in the show <laughs> of Broad City. <laughs> and, and the denizens of New York are so hilarious. It's like little parts will just pop up for one episode. Like, mm -hmm. I always think about the, the episode where they're banned from the co-op and the leader of the co-op, this um, yes. mature woman yes. who's still breastfeeding her newborn baby. <laughs> and she says, like, um, um, co-op produce has given me fertility into my 40s and beyond. <laughs> um, uh, so you were born and raised in, you, you were uh, born and raised in Harlem. And then mm -hmm. um, you lived in New York until you moved to L.A., correct? Yeah, more or less. I went to school in Connecticut, but what's that really? You know, <laughs> just outside New York. Uh, yeah. So um, I have to imagine. Okay, so I was born and raised in Portland. I've spent lots of Which time. Which one? Maine or Oregon? Oregon, the good one. Um, okay. <laughs> well, you got a lot of Klansmen in Oregon, so good is oh, relative. Oh, I know. But okay. Well, okay. no, Portland. Portland is this little cultural epicenter surrounded by uh -huh. just the rest of the state, which is... Uh -huh. And it's so funny because Portland is the one, like, liberal city in Oregon, but it's so densely packed that we turned the whole city... I mean, we turned the whole state blue. Right, 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 right. we're surrounded by farmland and loggers and... <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've worked a lot in New York. I've worked a lot in L.A. Um, I 
personally couldn't live in either place. Interesting. <laughs> really? I think because I was raised in the Pacific Northwest, I only know how to operate like a Pacific Northwesterner. <laughs> but what's that? It's just like being like kind of constantly like chilly and you like choose when you walk and like you could go for a walk and find a dead body because you're like in a thicket of trees, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you really need a fine cup of coffee, you just hop in your car and go half a block. It's about being, um, it's, it, it's about being mindful, sensitive, and stoned at all times. That's, that's the Pacific Northwest. And I often say, you know, like, um, a joke I used to do in my shows in Seattle and Portland is like, and this is the most liberal, mindful, um, socially conscious, um, place in the world. And it's because... It's predominantly white. It's like this, <laughs> these <Yep>. cities that <laughs> pride themselves on being open to diversity, but actually don't have to experience any diversity. Yes. Um, yes. So that's kind of like, that's the, that's the, that's the give and take of the Pacific Northwest is mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, kind of patting themselves on the back for being woke, but never actually being challenged. <laughs> Gorgeous. And you're saying you miss it. And you're no, saying I- that's where you want to die. <laughs> I I live here once more. No, um, that that's me just being brutally honest about my locale. But um, for for me, I've always said both New York and L.A. just feel like too much city for me. Hmm. You know, in Seattle yeah. and Portland, you can pretty much walk from point A to point B. You can get anywhere you need to go on foot if you have to. Um, L.A. It's like to get to get. 10 minutes down the road, it's two hours. I mean, I mean, it's a sick town. It's a sick town. You know, I detest it. Yeah. And so I'm just doing my time, okay? I'm doing my time. I'm going to say I did a bid in LA, okay? I'm just I mean, waiting for my parole because it does feel like I have to be here to work because I will say I got to a point in New York, I mean, other than Broad City and late night shows, you know, if you want to earn money and as a comedy writer, it ain't going to happen now. Yeah. There's only a handful of options, or at least there were when I was there. Yeah. Um, and so I know I need to be here and you know, I'm you know, I got my animals and I like my apartment, but I do like being able to walk. I don't like that as soon as it goes dark, the streets are empty. Yeah. Everyone looks like a murderer, Jinx. <laughs> Everybody. When there's only okay. one person on the road, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, Andy's Andy's bitches stay backlit. You know what I'm saying? Because they don't have enough lighting on these streets. So anybody coming towards you, they are only a silhouette, and yeah. that's terrifying. I I always talk about how much I how much I don't f- connect with um, LA, but then every time I'm there, I have a great time. It's just not <laughs> the place I would choose to spend my time. But once I'm there, I'm having a great time, and all my friends are there. And and you're absolutely right to like work in. Um, TV or film to not live in LA, you're basically an alien. You're you're like <laughs> people treat you like they have to travel you in from Saturn if, exactly. if you're gonna do a cameo spot on their TV show. Um, New York, on the other hand, exact opposite. There's always people on the street. Yes. <laughs> and I I got to this point. I thought I was so hilarious because I was working there for like four months, living in this tiny apartment in Hell's Kitchen. 
And I was like, I know it's the city that never sleeps, but could it give it a shot? Like, will you go <laughs> shut up for five minutes so I can go to bed? <laughs> well, but, Hell's Kitchen is a whole nother animal. Oh, if you yeah. was in Hell's Kitchen, <laughs> you have no control over the situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Harlem, at least, used to be a lot quieter, you know, mm-hmm. a lot sleepier. Even still, our neighborhood that... It was is on the chill side, you know, like we're not near, like we're not on Lenox Ave or where all the Columbia kids hang out. So mm-hmm. it's like still a little chill. But I know what you mean. But see, the thing is, I like, as long as it's not like a blaring alarm, mm-hmm. I actually like ambient sounds. Quiet freaks me out. Yeah. Quiet, like I can fall asleep to like the music next door or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um but when it's really quiet, I'm like, what's going on? Is yeah. everyone dead? Did something it is break? kind of like unsettling. It's just... <laughs> yeah, I get really unsettled. I'm not, you know, I'm not, look, if we ever get a, in an apocalypse, okay, mm-hmm. when it turns, I'm going to be the first to go. I can't manage. <laughs> I have no marketable skills. I have asthma, and I don't like quiet. I can't be, I'm out in the first wave. Yeah. First wave, I'm done. My my best friend is always saying I'm, like, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm probably going to be the first to be eaten. Um, um, they're always like, you think you're going to be able to get contacts after the zombies, <laughs> you're not going to be able to see. Um, yep. You you can't control your volume. You're not going to be able <laughs> to survive. Um, do you think you'll end up back in New York? Is that where you want to um, uh, settle down and retire someday? Or is it Palm I Springs? So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Palm Springs wasn't 4,500 degrees, I yeah. would say yes, I think. But I think it's New York. Because I will say this. I think it's a little easier to be an older person in New York mm-hmm. because of the public transportation. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, you know, you can maybe find a building with a doorman or there's a little more sense of community. Because I have like I have like older friends. When I say older, I mean like 75, 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And they live alone and they can manage. Right. Yeah. Because she literally she's like, she's like, if I get to the corner, get around, I can go to the bus. She can say to the driver, tell me when X, Y, or Z stop is. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like if you live in you know one of these more sprawling cities, the moment you lose your license, it's kind of a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you can't do nothing. Well, I have to say, as someone with narcolepsy who can't drive and has never driven, um, we are living in the golden age of delivery. <laughs> because... <laughs> Uh, I just discovered a new app that I guess has been around for a while, but it's like, now I can get my groceries. I can just like thumb through a selection and you can, and you can pick <laughs> any store you want to shop from. Um, I was in LA in quarantine cause I got Omicron and I had to quarantine oh, there no. for 10 days. And whenever I'm sick, I am one of those people who, if I'm sick, all, all bets are off. I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, like, I'm allowed to do whatever I want yes. because I'm sick. So what and you're I, saying is you're a big old baby. Yeah. yeah. When you're sick, you're like, no, it's my time. What I'm, I'm saying is I have um, addiction issues and I'll find any justification to lean into my vices. And when I was on Instacart searching for caviar to be delivered to my fucking no. Airbnb, I was like, this is a whole new level of bougie oh that I don't even God. believe in, but I'm glad I have access to. So, uh, Wait, did you end up getting your caviar? Yeah, but I went with the wrong. I I, I went. I tried a new <laughs> caviar a new is brand. different from fish to fish, and I tried a new okay. kind of fish, and it was not what I was looking for. But then I was like, I'm not going to order two jars of caviar. <laughs> what do you do? I with have it? my limits. <laughs> like, what do you do with it? I you know I've seen it for obviously on sushi mm-hmm. or like a garnish, but if you're just having it at home, 
Do you put it on a cracker? Okay. Is there a sauce? What's going on? So you can put it on a toast point. Is, okay. Is one a toast popular point. one. A Not bellini. just toast, a point. <laughs> a bellini, a, a mini bellini, which just kind of, lo- it's like a little tiny crepe you can put it on. You often uh-huh. serve it with creme fraiche. All of this is moot because what I do is I just eat it. I just eat it <laughs> like. I have straight up with. Yeah. And you, technically you're supposed to eat it with a mother of pearl spoon because um, metal spoons taint the flavor. Anyway, this is like <laughs> literally, I I don't see myself as a bougie person, but here I am sitting here talking to you about caviar and how how proper, <laughs> how to properly how eat it. How to properly eat it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you bougie. You bougie and blessed. Okay? I'm happy for you. Um, I felt weird about the fact that I just like to eat it. I, I mean, little tiny spoonfuls. We're talking about, I just go get a caviar our fix every you know like four or five hours but um uh when i saw a picture of rihanna sitting in a bed and she just had a big bowl of ice and in the big bowl of ice was a smaller bowl of caviar and she was just eating it with a spoon i'm like oh it's me and rihanna that's how we eat caviar everybody have always felt like stand up and drag making making your way in the world making your way in that industry um there are a lot of parallels between being a a, a stand up comedian and a drag queen i feel like we both start in the diviest uh-huh. just dingiest <laughs> places and we work our way up and up to just like get to that midpoint where you start to feel like you're not just human garbage being <laughs> thrown a bone. Um, and then there's now, you know, nowadays there's a few like clear cut paths to like do making a career out of it. And a lot mm-hmm. of it involves reality TV. Um, <laughs> um, what were some of your more memorable early stand-up experiences. Oh my god. Good or bad. I mean, Just lay it all out. I there. know. <laughs> well, certainly the dingy bars in Manhattan, but I was like, there's an audience and they're paying attention. <laughs> so what if they're four people and they may not yeah. even know what's happening? Did you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. I'm here. Um I remember I performed, it wasn't in New York, I performed at a it was a paid gig, a hundred whole dollars. Mm-hmm. at a JCC, Jewish Community Center, in York, Pennsylvania. And the show was called Laugh Your Tuchus Off. <laughs> and it was me and three Jewish men. And when I say men, like older gentlemen. And and it was just like, and we each did like 20 minutes. And I remember just being like, 20 minutes, that's so much time. And oh my God, and I'm going to get, and I get paid. And I just like get up in front of the JCC audience that are all, much older than mm-hmm. me. And, you know, at that point in my stand-up, my material's not all that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> I went on a date, and he did this. And it was so <laughs> I was like, I, like, once I stood up in front of the audience, I was like, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that realization, I was like, this may not go well. This yeah. may not go well. But it was, uh, it was wild, definitely. And whew, but te- but gives you a little, what's the word? What is it like baptism by fire, trial by fire, uh-huh. like that feeling? I I had a similar experience. Um I was working in New York off Broadway as an attempt to pr- to promote my show to um uh 
people outside of the Hell's Kitchen, you know, like <laughs> regulars who mm-hmm. had already seen my show like five times. It was like, <laughs> let's let's branch out and see if other people want to come see the show. And I performed at um, Queen's Pride, um, mm-hmm. the Pride event in Queen's. And I had a very similar experience because I was halfway through singing the King of Queen's theme song on stage, (laughs) unprovoked, um, looking out at a sea of dead faces, (laughs) just looking at me like, what is happening? (laughs) And I was like, why did I think this was a good idea? Just because it's about queens? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, did that come to you in the moment? Or were you like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to open with this, it'll be funny. Or did it come to you in the moment because you were like, I need something else? It would no. It was um, that I had already ran it by everybody I was um, there with. Mm-hmm. I had ran it by my team, and they all told me not to do it. And I was so certain. <laughs> I was so certain that once I started the song, everyone would start singing along with me. And people not only they didn't sing along. They, they. Uh, I don't know. It was like they kept watching me, which right. was interesting. Right. Like no one left, but they watched me with just like complete bewilderment like who is this person and why is she doing this to us (laughs) they were waiting for it to like become something else they were like okay this is like has to go somewhere right yeah they're like okay okay wait for it wait for it and you were like i am done and that's what happened i have a question Mm -hmm. how long did it take performing drag before you got paid okay so when I started, I started drag at 16 and I was working at um, an underage dance club here in Portland. This is what I'm talking about. Portland has this amazing stuff um, mm-hmm. and it has a lot to celebrate. It's just um, not culturally diverse, even though it, t- it prides itself on being diverse. There is actually no diversity here. I think it's better these days because so many yeah. young people have migrated to Portland, but Anyway, that's just me going off on a tangent. <laughs> I was working at this um, all-ages queer nightclub, and um, to just perform there, you got paid nothing. But I mm-hmm. eventually worked my way into the show coordinator position. Um, okay. So that was like my after-school job, and I got oh, paid wow. 100 bucks a week to coordinate the show. But getting that 100 bucks was yeah. like pulling teeth, because I had to personally oh. go up and talk to the club owner and say, hey, I, I finished the show. Can I have my hundred bucks? <laughs> and some nights I'd get 70 bucks. Some nights uh, I'd get, you know, like 90 bucks. Some nights right. I'd be told we didn't have big enough numbers, but it was always the same 400 people <laughs> every yep, yep, weekend, yep. you know? Oh um, so anyway, and then I felt really good about myself later in life um, uh, working at the Red Cap Garage. None of these places are here anymore, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, but I would get 40 bucks a week and the tips mm-hmm. were good. Okay. Um, and we got to put on like a real like drag cabaret show. And then this is my favorite um, early drag experience. There was a club in Portland called Embers. It was mm-hmm. a landmark, you know. Okay, that sounds very sexual. <laughs> the name Embers is very sexual to me. <laughs> Embers. It was it was a drag bar, and then I think they had a goth room too, um, which a lot of drag bars here had a goth room for some reason. <laughs> what do you, you say goth room, like a special night or specifically a space a in the room cl- in the club room? that just played wow, okay. like goth music. Oh, and there was okay, always okay. three people in there, three Portland goths <laughs> in there, just standing there 
bobbing their head to the music. Embers was famous for the fact that the drag show went on all night. We're talking like a four hour long drag show. It started at eight, ended at midnight. There was the cast who got perform uh, who who got paid mm-hmm. like I think two dollars and fifty cents per song that they did that night, and they might do Whoa. like they might do six or eight songs that night. Yep. And okay. then if you were a guest, you got paid like a buck seventy five a song, wow. and then it, you you made all your money off of tips. And then also there would just be. Um, Portland drag royalty would just come in with their Mm -hmm. burn CD and just go, I have a number to do. I'm on my way to another gig, but I felt like stopping (laughs) in and doing a number. So you'd be like, you'd be, have your line in the show, but you'd keep getting pushed back because people would come in and just like literally do a number, collect like 10 bucks in tips and then leave. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the drag hierarchy here. Um, and yeah, it was also a very, um, very much like I'd, I'd go out for one number and there would be 20 people in the audience. I'd change and come out for my next number. There'd be four people in the audience because it just the show just went on all night. Right. And people right, would just right, right, filter right. in and out. Um, Wait, are you telling me you're changing between each number? Oh, yeah. This was what? this was back, you know, I was you know, one person in a cast of many people yeah. doing numbers. There was right. no cohesion so to the show. There was no direction. <laughs> there was a host who would introduce you. Everyone just did whatever numbers they felt like, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't curated in any way. But I loved it because you can, that's how you cut your teeth as a drag yep. queen. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some days I miss the freedom of just like, oh, I like this song today. I'll go out there and lip sync this song uh-huh. on stage and maybe make five bucks. Um, uh, when we were young, you know, that's a very that's a very young girls game. You're like, what do I feel today? Let's yeah. see. But now you grown, okay? Yeah. You got hit by a car in Amsterdam, and you said, I need my money. <laughs> well, I and here's another parallel. I I'd love to hear your perspective on is with drag. You know that used to be how you learned how to be a drag queen was performing at these dive bars and doing your doing your six numbers for five bucks. Um, and now with social media, now with um, RuPaul's Drag Race, God bless RuPaul's Drag Race for legi- legitimizing our art form finally. Right. But, um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, now people are kind of bypassing that step. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's <clears throat> a parallel to that in the stand-up community with social media and with so many new, like, you know, TV shows about stand-up and so many different ways to be seen as a stand-up performer. Are yeah. you? Do you find that younger stand-up comedians these days are getting to bypass those days of crawling on your hands and Absolutely. knees? Absolutely. And I feel like I sound like a bitter old broad, but... It does feel like, to me, because, right, as you're saying, because you can amass a following Mm -hmm. without ever leaving your house, (laughs) and then from that following will then come industry that says, okay, Mm -hmm. there's money here, there are people here. Um, You can never, you can literally have a career where you never perform live um, until it's at the highest level. (laughs) Right, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you've never actually stood on a stage but now suddenly you have to put this show together or you have people who have paid for tickets and you've sold out the place. Bless, bless yeah. your heart, honey. Yeah. But you don't know what to do up there <laughs> for 75 minutes. Yeah. And that is what is happening. I think it is it is wild. I can be a little surly in that regard in terms of like, oh, I'm, like right I'm a comedian. Yeah. I'll be like, you are a front-facing character actress. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not funny, but 
I think I still, and it's again, it's like, it's not even like I'm that old or been doing it like that long, but I just, I remember what, what I needed, what I felt I needed to be good at, mm-hmm. you know, it was specifically that live experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, it's, you know, I think multiple things are true because in the one hand, it's giving more power to people who create their own work. It's giving more power. And I think that's, you know, like leading to more diverse representation because, you know, if you're good at what you do and people watch it, you can be successful. You know, you don't have to Mm -hmm. go through the same rigmarole of like producers and directors and casting people um, just completely outright rejecting you because you don't fit their image of what right. they think people want to watch. Mm-hmm. And the other hand, like you're saying, you you get a lot of like, um, you know, like maybe this person isn't as funny if they don't have time to edit the dead air between yeah. their yeah, funny yeah, bits, yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think though, it, I, I will say, I think that that is quickly, what I see sometimes is this sense of like, when you do get that popularity, Mm-hmm. You usually have a very finite window where it's like, make your money. Because <laughs> yeah. what's because the fact is, no one's going to come to the show again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, once you kind of know what the show is, and it's like, oh, that ain't really it. Mm-hmm. You ain't selling tickets the way you did before. So it's like, hey, to me, like, it's like I get it. And I was like, hey, if you tell me I'm going to pay you a guarantee, mm-hmm. you're going to fill up this uh, theater. Okay, not even a club, a theater? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll read the damn phone book. <laughs> we going to work it out until people catch on. Yeah. And that's the dream. <laughs> um, and one last parallel I'd like to talk about is hecklers. Um, <laughs> do you have memorable heckler stories? Do you have go-to tactics no, for dealing jinx, with hecklers? No, I am not good at this. I'm not good at heckles. <laughs> like, I'm, I, like I, that's what I want. Like, that for me, I'm like, that's, I feel like that is literally my weakness as a comic is like mm. not having like a good barb, you know, mm. a way to like throw it back at them. Yeah. I don't, like I literally, at like I don't really do crowd work for mm. that very reason. Cause I'm like, I don't even want to open this up. This yeah. is not a dialogue. This is a TED talk. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> am like, yeah, I don't know what to say. Do you have good ones? Maybe I'll just like use yours. What are yours? Yeah, I have some good ones. I have some go-tos and um, yeah, opening it up like the second you ask the audience a question and wait yep. for their response it's opening pandora's box and then with drag um i can't speak to stand up but with drag it's like lots of people are going to the drag show i call it their once a year day it's the mom <laughs> who got the sitters for their kids and they're on their night out and they're gonna have a crazy night because it's yeah. drag queens and yep. like they've gotten drunk off of their three wh- white wines and they're like ah <laughs> you know, like they're going fucking nuts in the audience. Or you get the it's always a drunk person. It's never a sober yeah. person who's no, no, like no. interrupting the show. But um some of my go-tos are I point out, you know, oh, you're being loud because you're a you're a mother on your once a year day and <laughs> um this is actually not catered to you right now. <laughs> right, right, um, right. I have my, uh, this is a scripted show and none of you have lines. I have, um, <laughs> you step on one more punchline and I'm coming for blood. Um, okay, we love that. Yes. My problem is, is that I, I have my go-to jokes and I can stay in control. Once I've run out of those jokes and the person's still heckling or still screaming or still interrupting the timing and the flow of the show... After I'm out of those jokes, it's just pure white hot rage. It is just, I once, 
I once got into, like, I couldn't stop. I was on stage mm-hmm. with Ben De La Creme and she had to stop me. She had to, like, go, Jinx, <laughs> can we please get back to the scripted show? Because oh, I was talking God. about how the movie White Christmas is this Christmas classic. And it also is racist and has this huge number, this huge number in the <laughs> middle of the movie that's them singing about how they wish they could go back to the days of a minstrel show. And they're oh not... Oh my God. They themselves are not in blackface, but yes. they are singing about how much they miss being able to do blackface. Wow. And this person in the audience was screaming at me that it wasn't true. And I'm like, I just watched the movie. You think I've been performing this show for two months and I didn't do my goddamn research? The movie has the number. And they're like, I just watched it on Netflix. And I'm like, Netflix probably cut it out because it's racist. <laughs> like I was... I was losing my mind. The person left at intermission. It was a whole thing. And that oh was the night God. we recorded our, our, our archival um, uh, recording of it. So that's no. the, that's when we watch back on that show to like remember what we no. did in that show. We have to no, also geez. watch my 15-minute no, fight. You should have cut it out the way Netflix <laughs> cut out White Christmas's <laughs> minstrel song. Oh, my God. That is hysterical, but also so painful. See, I don't like watching, I don't like when someone's being berated, Mm -hmm. but I like when they are ejected. Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) Because there's something I was like, ooh, they got in trouble. But it's like, when they're just like removed, there's something that's like so, like that silent power, what Mm -hmm. it is to just disappear someone from an audience. (laughs) That's what I want. That reminds me of my, this is my Hail Mary, this is my final tactic with a heckler, is I will say, you know, right now, you are interrupting everyone else's experience of this show, and they all also paid to be here. So I'll just ask the audience, would you like this person to shut up? And the audience will cheer. (laughs) I'll say, would you like this person to leave? And the audience will cheer, and then it's like, it's not just me who feels this way anymore. We're all... That's good. You are the the outlier here. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Nobody here likes you is basically what you're establishing, and now you have to be quiet because... You're not popular. So just take those jokes. I will. Change a few words. (laughs) Put it in your voice. You can have them. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for this blessing. Thank you. So now, um, when you performed... Um, at the JCC. Is that how you met your partner? (laughs) No, actually. But I will say this, though, about the JCC show. His parents were there. Oh, yeah. So that was... So we had just been together, I want to say, like, six months or something, Mm -hmm. and they lived in Pennsylvania, and it was close by where they lived. So it was, like, a 30-minute drive from them. And so they came, and I remember being like, I should not... I should not do this. Mm -hmm. But he was... I remember he was like... He's like, "If, if we go to, like within 30 minutes of my house and my parents don't know I'm there. He's like, I'm not going to hear the end of it. So he's like, if we're going, we have to tell them, you know, it's not like you're going to give them free tickets, but like, they're going to know. They're going to curse you with a Dybbuk box. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. And so that's why, so like I hadn't gone in, but like, I remember just being like, oh my God, if I'm not funny, like, I won't be able to look them in the eye. But we actually met at UCB Theater, the Mm -hmm. Improv Theater in New York. Um, And it was just funny because we were, you know, I call him my Jubu. And that just came out of trying initially before we were (laughs) 
before we were, you know, We've been together 12 years now, but in those mm -hmm. early days, that first year or so, you know how when you, I don't know if you talk about lovers on stage, but it's like, before oh, yeah. it's like, I don't know yet <laughs> if he's like the one, let me not mm -hmm. be out here with his government name. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. came out of just being like, <laughs> let's just call him that for now. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it just became the shorthand. And so that was it. But sometimes it's bad because we'll go out and he'll be like, you know, we'll, we'll talk to somebody. Someone's like, Jubu! And he's like, hi, I'm Andy. You know what I, I mean? He's like, I have a name. And I'm like, I am the okay, Jubu. Um, like, <laughs> so you do a podcast um, with your Jubu, Andy Beckerman, mm -hmm. called mm -hmm. Couples Therapy. Ooh, Tell Jinx us doing the research. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this podcast. On Couples Therapy, so it started as a live show, first mm -hmm. in New York and then in LA, where we had comics do sets together about their relationship. And that's like the first, probably even like 80 episodes of the pod and but you know in the pandemic we pivoted and we answer relationship questions so callers you know they'll call in write in whatever and we with a with an individual guest now instead of doing the pairs because god that was a booking nightmare we will just like answer questions and i actually really like it i really love telling people what to do <laughs> i'm here to tell you what i think you should do about your life and have no skin in the game okay <laughs> I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. Work it out. <laughs> um, uh, what are the pros and cons? Um, I, I believe you and your partner live together. Uh, yeah, Jinx. It was a mistake. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> are it was bad. Like, especially. <laughs> so initially, it was. <sighs> It got real rough in the pandemic because it's like mm. we're here all the you, time and then we have to do the constant. podcast and then yeah. also have something to talk about on said podcast, yeah. right? Because it's like I ain't doing nothing. So what the <laughs> hell are we talking about every episode? So I would just really like, I was like, I can't. And we had to really learn to put up parameters. Like now when it comes to a lot of podcast stuff, we only communicate about it via email. <laughs> Even though obviously we live in the same place, and I will be that checking my email like, right no, that next. That sounds to him. like a very healthy boundary. That sounds like a very good way to compartmentalize um, the different aspects of your relationship. Because I, I I don't live with my partner yet because he is in the UK. We got married. Um, <gasps> we Congratulations! Got married how fun! Last January. So our um, oh my god, what's today? Our anniversary is in two days. Ooh, uh, <laughs> but COVID slowed down his immigration process. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still in the UK, but he comes for long visits. And his last visit was, you know, during the pandemic. He had to self quarantine in Mexico for two weeks, and then oh my goodness. he was here living with me for three months. And I was starting my Patreon, and we started doing music together. And we also mm -hmm. performed together on New Year's Eve last year for a digital show. And this is something we had always wanted to do. And as soon as we started doing it, it was like, oh, we have very different approaches to this. Yeah. And I've been doing it my way for a long time now. Yep. <laughs> Michael is the one with more, um, with way more music theory training than I have. I'm mm -hmm. the one with more live performance experience. So it was kind of finding the balance between doing what 
Michael knows we should do for the song and what I just want to do for the song. (laughs) And we we got there, but there were some moments where it was like, and it felt so stupid to get so upset over how we were going to sing Tonight You Belong to Me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true, though, because like, especially the longer you've been a performer, it is part of your identity, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and not just that, but the time it's taken to get to a place where you can say, this is how I do things, right? Mm. You develop your style, you get confident in your style. And then somebody want to come up in here <laughs> and be like, we should do this. And it's like, no, if I wanted to do that, I would have done that. And then <laughs> you start yelling at them, but then you got to share a bed. So you got to get over it and say, I understand your point. I am sorry I came in hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely had some moments where it was like, and you love the person too. So it's like, I mean, I would hold back saying things how I would to like any other colleague, you know, and I would hold back on like jokes I would make about, you know, who's the Beyonce here. Um, but, <laughs> but um, we, we found our groove and um, we like making music together, but um, it was definitely, it was a learning experience. It was something you had, you had to learn how to do. And like any, like anything that comes um, with a relationship, um, it's a choice. You know, you got to make the choice right. to put right. in the work. Um, and we did have to share a bed after that. But exactly. I, <laughs> um, I remember I took a two-hour angry nap one day, and when I woke up, <laughs> I wasn't angry anymore. And then yes, we just got yes. to it, and we got back to working on the song, and then. And then it was great. And then we had like, then we did the show of our lives. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> and we had a great that's time. terrible. Um, See, but that's different. It's funny because like one of the things that Andy has learned about me, for instance, is like, when it's time to perform, I will turn it on. Mm-hmm. Whereas he doesn't, he, that's not him. You know what I mean? Whereas like, you know, just years of performing, I've just kind of figured out. It's like, well, sometimes you have to do it when you don't want to do it. And sometimes he'll be like, like, he'll be like, it's crazy. We were just fighting. And then as soon as I press record, you were like, oh, welcome. (laughs) And so then he kind of, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, he might start thinking I'm a sociopath now. And I was just like, but I just, I was like, we just have to do it. So I just take a break. And then like when it's over, I'm not like mad the way I was right Mm -hmm. before, but Mm -hmm. I still have it in my head. But I have to go back. I have to circle back to what you said when you said you, you hold back a little more with Michael than you would with like a colleague. Yeah, well, because, you know, I I love him and I don't want to ever hurt his feelings and I don't ever want to really feel like a diva and I don't want him to feel like I'm being a diva. Um, <laughs> also, there's um, and I'm also like now sitting here thinking like, oh, he's going to hate me talking about all of this. But what I will say, and this is me <laughs> being completely honest, and I think I said this to him, but there's also a little bit of like. I know that I don't know music theory as well as him. I know that like he probably does know better when it comes to arranging a song and um, how we should harmonize on this song. And there's a little embarrassment there. There's a little embarrassment mm-hmm. to admit that like, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time and but I'm a solo singer, you know, so I don't have yeah. to follow any rules. And when you start singing as a duet, you know, like it's got the song's gonna sound bad if you don't do it right. So right, right, right. So it's also just it's also just the act of collaborating with someone and then right. kind of having to admit, yeah, you do know more about this than I do, but I'm also mm-hmm. probably more stubborn out of the two of us. Well, yes, well, yes, absolutely, absolutely. You're the diva. Don't worry, he knows. Even though you don't want him to know, he knows. <laughs> 
you know what I mean? That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know I had one last thing I wanted. Oh, yes. The purse. Let's talk about the purse. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Um, you started your episode of the stand-ups with the purse. And I, um, from what I know, um, uh, from my research, but also from um, Big Dipper, who's one of the executive producers of this podcast, is a friend of yours, and told me mm-hmm. about you bringing your purse on stage um, yes. because you don't know anyone there and you're not going to trust <laughs> leaving your purse in the dressing room. That's something I've done before, but it's less because... Um, it's less because I, I don't, I'll, I'll leave important things just anywhere. I bring my purse on stage because it's got my, my weed vape pen in it, you know? <laughs> like, I'll bring my purse on stage because I don't know when I'm going to, like, get bored in the middle of something and need, like, something from my purse to entertain myself, you know? Oh, my God. While you're on stage. While you're on stage, you're like, I make it bored Depending on the show. show. Depending on the show, you know? <laughs> so where where did that... um. Where did that motif first come from? And is it is it truly out of a distrust for your your colleagues and audience members? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, I'm from New York. And I always say I'm from a pre-gentrified Harlem. I'm used to keeping an eye on my thing. <laughs> yeah. And as we were talking about starting out in the diviest, dingiest places performing, I mean, most places don't have a green room anyway. And if they do, it's like any old body could walk back in there. It's yeah. not exactly, you know for the elite. And so I, so I just, um, I was always used to having it. And then sometimes I would just hold it the whole show depending on where I was or like I've been putting it down. And then I just noticed every, and then I just started, I think commenting on it came later mm-hmm. because like sometimes if I have a friend in the audience, if I'm doing a show and they, you know, and I know somebody, I'll give them my purse or that's what I yeah. used to do. But then, you know, nowadays it's not like, you know, I necessarily know, like, I don't have somebody coming with me. Back in the day, yeah. friends, we would kind of make a night of it, and it would be like, come yeah, to my yeah, show, yeah. and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. Oh, and then your friends get worn out, and they're like, <laughs> and you're like, I've Absolute. worked so hard on this show, please come see it. And they're like, I've seen the show, I know exactly. the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so then I just started to see how Gino could hold on to it, and I was really on the fence about actually doing it in the taping, because obviously the taping is a different setting than... Mm a club or just like performing but I for the life of me could not figure out how to open the set I just like didn't know how to start I didn't know how to just like and I just said well I know bringing my purse on always opens the room up it's not like it's necessarily the biggest laugh you ever heard mm-hmm. but it, like it usually kind of just gets the audience just kind of up a little and I was like I just have to do it I just it's, have to do it I was like it's so dumb but I'm like I have to I think it's brilliant because you know oftentimes um you have just a finite amount of time to get this audience on your side and rolling on the floor with laughter and you can't waste any time on stage. Um, audiences attention spans are shrinking <laughs> drastically <laughs> with every year. Um, and for me, I just felt like it was like, we get everything we need to know about you to know where we're going to go with you during your set from that first, the, from you just walking out on stage with your purse, setting it on the stool, making your joke about it. And it's like, Oh, I think I know. I, I think I know what I'm in store for with this person. This is going to be auntie energy. You are going to be talking to an auntie who somebody said to me. Like someone commented, they were like, 
you said you were in a relationship for almost 12 years. You look so young. And I was like, thank you for calling me young. Because in my head, I am 84 years old. You know what I mean? Like, in my head, I'm Cicely Tyson, RIP. That's my energy. I'm trying to convey a Cicely energy. Um, that episode was just so great. I really, I really love your humor. I feel like I relate to it so much, um, even though there are some key differences between us as, <laughs> as people. I, I felt like I could, re- I relate to taking my rage out in yes. ways, uh, in places yes. where this person's not responsible for my rage, but they're the person who's attracting my rage at this moment. Yes. Um, when you were, you Always. were talking about, um, moments of um, uh, misdirecting your rage. And I was thinking about the last time I got cut in line at a grocery store. And mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to pull the fire alarm. I wanted to stop everything uh-huh. because this person <laughs> cut me in line. Um, and not only did she cut me in line, but then she acted mad at me that I was <gasps> like, I was like, I didn't even do anything. I was like, oh, I thought I was next. And I took a step back. And then she like Uh-oh. turns and she's like, no, I was here. I swear I was here. I had to go grab something. I was here. I set my basket mm. down. It's not your turn. And I'm like, I'm not even fighting you. And now right. everyone's looking at us. Right. Of course. Of course. And then oh, I was the like, nightmare. The nightmare. I just walked to the opposite side of the store. I just, I was like, <laughs> I have to get away from this situation or I'm going to oh. lose it. But, yeah, um, yeah. People are I'm stupid. always angry about stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like I think I really kind of live in a place of anger. Um, the, I, I you know, think the, a lot you know, the of commercial... comedians and drag queens do, and then you transpose that anger to comedy. <laughs> I know. But lately, I've been thinking because I was like, I was like, can I really just be angry forever? <laughs> that might become. I mean, Lord knows it's tiring for me. That may become tiring for an audience, and so I'm wondering how to pivot. But quite honestly, anger is the most fun. I yeah. have just a lot of fun yelling. There's something very cathartic about yelling about well, like nonsense. I always I always say that my humor that I do on stage, I have to do that. I have to put it somewhere where it might actually serve a purpose so that I don't mm-hmm. carry it around with me day to day. Like yeah. Having that experience in the grocery store, if I can turn that into a joke, I can let go of the rage because now I've yes. transposed the rage into a joke and I right. can live on stage and I can get my demons out on stage and then live my life as a, you know, relatively happy, well-balanced person. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the character Jinx is a foul-mouthed, angry, narcissistic <laughs> slut so that I don't necessarily carry that all with me every day in my day-to-day life. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're doing a service. You're doing a service to the world <laughs> and around And it's you. self-care. And it's <laughs> self-care. The last thing I wanted to talk about um, before I ask you my compulsorily, my compulsorily, my compulsory (laughs) final (laughs) questions, Um, last discussion topic. Um, You have a love of British television, which I share with you. Again, same people, different Mm -hmm, multiverses. mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You you had a quote about um, British TV um, saying that there's a more real, like the people look more like real people on British television yeah. and there's more diversity without making an issue out of it. Yeah. Um, which so I feel I no, I think that's very, that's spot on. And, um, 
The only thing, though, is that's like the good British television that makes its way to Netflix yep. or that yeah. has like a limited run. <laughs> yeah, 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 but when yeah. you are in the UK watching local television, it's yeah. like um, marathons of Come Dine With Me and like mm. uh, comedy chat shows from the 80s. Everything uh, on local TV in the yeah. UK feels like it was all shot in the 80s, <laughs> even if it was two <laughs> weeks ago. But they're like, their well-produced TV is, you know, it's a masterpiece, but their their local TV, it's like, I don't know what I'm watching. It well, all feels like they... public access. <laughs> Isn't like Big Brother one of their biggest shows? And it's like very janky, like, right? It's only have like, and like it's on year round. Like, I feel like it's been on for such a long time there and mm -hmm. it is such an institution. Um, in a way, I feel like I feel like The Bachelor here, maybe our version of that instead. Like we do Big Brother, but it's just not mm -hmm. as popular. Like and it's funny because when you do see when I see somebody British being trashy, I'm just like, oh, that is so sad for you <laughs> because you have you are British. You should not have to live this way. Part of being a colonizer is that you have options, and they're out here just acting so gross. <laughs> and then I just am like, ugh. I I saw something, um, oh, it just blew my mind. It was just one of those moments, and I, I don't like making fun. I like making fun of myself. I like making fun of, you know, concepts at large. I don't like making fun of individual people, so I say this with love. But there was this one day, my partner and I were um, coming back on the train. Lots of people were um, getting on the train to go to the races in York. It was a race mm -hmm. day. I, I, the amount of Forever 21 fascinators I saw that day, <laughs> were, it was ridiculous. But I'm getting off the train and I'm on the platform and there's this mother-daughter duo and then there's this these two female best friends duo and they kind of like cross each other. Now the two female best friends were wearing those tube dresses that mm. if you pull it up to cover your boobs, your vagina's out. Yep. If you pull it yep, down yep, to yep, cover yep. your vagina, your boob, one boob pops out. <laughs> um, so the mother-daughter duo looked at the two friends and then looked at each other and just like laughed and they furrowed their eyebrows and you could tell they were judging these two women. Meanwhile, yeah. the mother-daughter duo had a full like spray tan face that stopped oh, no. at their chin. Oh, had no. those eyebrows that are like mm -hmm. impeccably done, but completely out of place in the, in the real world. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just like, it was like two trashy people judging two other trashy people. Like there was a trash hierarchy. <laughs> uh -huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there is, Yeah, you know, I mean, That's I'm so I'm old trash myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been trashy since birth, so I inherited my trash. Um, I have some questions that I ask every guest, and I'd like okay. to end our wonderful discussion with these Ooh. compulsory questions. Okay. Okay, First I'm ready. One. I'm ready. Who is your celebrity crush today? My celebrity crush today is... Okay. Did you watch that show, We Are Lady Parts, speaking of British shows? And it's about no. the punk band. It's like a Muslim punk band of women. I just saw an ad for it, and it looked great. It's very <laughs> fun, and my crush is the black girl on it. I'm like, she is really cute and very fun. And I'm like, should we be best friends and maybe kiss? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you feel that way about somebody, where you're like, friends, but maybe we kiss? Um, 
my crush today is um, Harry Styles in a tutu. I think I've said okay. this one before, but I can't get enough of it's Harry. He did this photo shoot for SNL and he's um, um, in a tutu and white tights. And I want to stuff those tights in my mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of SNL, you were named um, one of <laughs> one oh. of the eight black female comedians who should be on SNL. Congratulations. Back uh, when there were only eight of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? What a what an interesting like there's eight black female comedians and, and they should all be on SNL. Um my next question, are you spiritual? No, not at all. Every now and then I I'm like maybe I should just cover my bases and turn it over to a higher power, but I'm like mm, I don't buy it. I'm just like covering my bases so I don't end up in hell in case. I can't remember what that's called, but I learned about that in philosophy class where there was a philosopher who said, you should probably just believe in God and worship him in some way just in case. <laughs> like, just in case, because if you don't, your 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 eternity is spent in hell. If you do and he's not real, it's kind of like, you know... You wasted some time, but at least you're covering your bases. And if you do any Israel, then, you know, you get to go to heaven. But these yeah, days... Yeah, but if you're faking it, God is going to know. Isn't that the whole point of being God is that you know when somebody That's bullshit. what I'm saying. So, <laughs> like, how? How? I don't think God will put up with you just going through the motions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? My go-to karaoke song is Valerie by Amy Winehouse. Good tempo, mm-hmm. giving you some upbeat vibes. Mm-hmm. Only two and a half minutes. You're not stealing the spotlight for long. And it's in my range, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only more people cared about singing songs in their range. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Um, Naomi, this has been such a lovely chat. I want to tell all my listeners, go out and watch great news. Go out and watch Broad City. Watch um, the stand-ups. You also have your own comedy special on Netflix, separate from the stand-ups? No, no. The stand-ups, season three, episode two. Mm-hmm. You can I'm just to having a, a premonition s- of your next comedy oh, special. Oh, blessings, honey. Manifest <laughs> it in case there is a God. <laughs> in case there's spirituality. In case. Manifest. <laughs> yeah. in case. In case we manifest. Do you Thank have anything you. else you'd like to promote today? Well, you know, you can listen to my Lifetime movie podcast called I Love a Lifetime Movie. Yes, two podcasts in this economy. And you can check out Mythic Quest on Apple TV. I play a disgruntled HR lady, and that is my wheelhouse. Yeah, lovely. And couples therapy, um, you and your partner, Andy Beckerman. You're uh-huh. Jubu. Um, <laughs> and where can people find you on social medias? Visit me on Instagram at Blacktress Comedy. That's the only place I'm keeping up with, honey. I can't maintain. I can't maintain all these platforms. I, I mean, I used to give it a go. Now, Instagram makes it easy for me. I'll be honest. And mm-hmm. Twitter's a hot fucking mess, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Twitter is only for starting revolutions and correcting people. <laughs> and if you don't want to do that, get off Twitter. <laughs> revolutions, insurrections, uh, <laughs> potato, potato. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest today, Naomi. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I guess I'll say bye, Jinx. <laughs> bye, Naomi. 
And thank you all for listening to Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure you search for Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Jinx. Forever To listen to Hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound designed by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.